Uh, good to see you guys. If you don't know who I am, my name is Seth, and I do the youth around here. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 11. And as you guys are turning there, I'm just going to pray and just get ready for this. Um, so Holy Spirit, we come before you. Just with everything that we brought into this place, Lord, distractions, anxieties, worries, whatever the thing is, Lord, you see us and you see the deepest parts of us. And I pray that you would use this time, God, for your will to be done. God, that you would take hearts and you would transform us and you would shape us into your image. So Holy Spirit, I give this moment to you. Will you speak through me, Lord? And just let your will be done. Praise things in your name. Amen. Um, when you think about this idea of prayer, what comes to mind? Like when, I, when I say the word prayer, what sort of feelings arise in you when you think about this idea of praying? Because the reality for all of us is this. We all pray in one capacity or another. Right? Possibly this morning when you woke up, some of you prayed to God. And when you leave this place later on today and continue on with your day, some of you are going to pray to God. Or maybe some of you have a really hard thing going on in your life right now and you have been living in this thing called prayer. Or maybe it's been a few days since you've really prayed. And you just mutter a few words to God here and there. See, whatever it is, whatever prayer looks like for you, my point is this. We all pray in one capacity or another. One research group concluded that more Americans will pray in a given week than will exercise, drive a car, engage in romantic relationships, and go to work. See, everybody prays. People have always been praying. Prayer seems to be just a part of human nature. Like, research also shows that even most atheists pray. People who don't even believe in God admit to praying to God sometimes. See, if you have ever muttered a single word to God, you've prayed. But even though prayer is a part of all of our lives in some capacity, if we could just be honest with ourselves. Like, if we can just be open and honest, I find praying really hard sometimes, right? Prayer can be difficult. If we can just get that out in the open right now and stop pretending that we're killing this thing, prayer is hard. See, for most of us, prayer has become a duty instead of a delight to our souls, for most of us, it's become something that we have to do because if we don't pray enough, we feel bad and then we get the spiritual guilt like we should be doing more, right? For most of us, prayer has become a spiritual box to check off so we can keep up on our spiritual performance. For most of us, our desire to pray is mostly fueled by our guilt, right? Have you ever told yourself, I should be praying more, and then you go and try really hard to pray more? How is that working for you? My guess, it's not working very well. And see, I don't want to speak for all of us. I'm just trying to normalize our experiences. If you struggle to find joy in prayer, you are not alone. But what if I told you that prayer, 
And that prayer for you could move from being a duty to being a deep delight to your soul. Something that you desire to do instead of a duty to accomplish. So here's my goal this morning. My goal isn't to make you really good at praying. My goal isn't to make you experts on prayer because nobody is an expert on prayer. My goal isn't to make you feel bad for not praying enough. No, my goal is to show you from the life of Jesus that prayer can be a deep delight to your soul. And my hope is that we too will experience the life that Jesus was experiencing when he prayed. Because for Jesus, prayer was never a duty or a box to check off. It was much, much more than that. For Jesus, prayer was the portal to a deep life with God. See, Jesus is giving us, you and me, an invitation to come and to experience the same thing he was experiencing when he went out to go and pray. So this is what I wanted to do. Let's take a look at our text, Luke chapter 11, if you have your Bibles in front of you. And let's just walk through this line by line and see what's going on here. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Let's pause here for just a moment. Real quick, there's something that we need to notice about the life of Jesus before we move on. When you read the gospel stories, especially the gospel of Luke, you will begin to notice that there is a running pattern or a theme in the life of Jesus. Just listen to this pattern, this, this habit, this theme that is in the life of Jesus. Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to desolate places and prayed. Luke 6.12, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Or in Luke 9.28, now about eight days after saying these things, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And now, here in Luke 11, we see Jesus again praying in a certain place. See, this is a running pattern in the life of Jesus. But let's continue on. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So we see Jesus praying in a certain place. And when Jesus finished praying, one of his disciples found it worth his time to ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And if you think about it, this is a pretty fascinating request. I mean, up until this point of the story, Jesus has already casted out demons. He healed the sick. He performed crazy miracles. But not one time do the disciples ask Jesus to, to teach them how to cast out demons, how to heal the sick, how to perform miracles. Not one time, but they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Pray? Really? That's the request? Teach us how to pray. Honestly, that sounds a tad underwhelming. Really? They landed on the prayer thing? I don't know about you, but I would probably, I don't know for sure, be asking Jesus to teach me all the crazy stuff. Jesus, you just cast out a demon out of this person. Show me how to do that. Or you just laid hands on this guy and he's healed. How do I do that? Or you're performing miracles. Show me how to teach and preach and do all the crazy fun stuff. But they landed on prayer. And prayer doesn't really fit in the category of exciting to me. What about you? 
awesome. <laughs> See, here's the question. Why? Why? Why would they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray instead of anything else that Jesus was doing? Remember, Jesus' disciples were with Jesus 24-7, right? They ate together, they lived together, they did life together every single day. And when you live with Jesus and you follow Jesus and you watch Jesus live his life, you would begin to notice certain things. And I believe that the disciples began to realize that Jesus was experiencing something in prayer that they were not experiencing in prayer. They began to realize that prayer for Jesus was a delight for him and not a duty. See, every time Jesus would go to a desolate place to pray, every time Jesus would climb up on a mountain to be by himself to pray, it was not to check off a box. It wasn't to keep up on his spiritual performance. He, was, he, was doing it. he wasn't doing it because he had to. No, Jesus made a habit of devoting his life to this thing called prayer because he prioritized the presence of God in his life above everything else. For Jesus, the presence of God was the end goal. It wasn't to check off a box. It wasn't to be this spiritual A-list Christian. No, the presence of God was the end goal for Jesus. And for most of us, we fall into this trap thinking, thinking that our spiritual performance is the end goal. If I can ju just do these things, then God will bless me. right? If I can just pray a little more, if I can just read my Bible a little more, if I just show up to church more often, then God will, you fill in the blank. Listen, God isn't looking for professional Christians. He never has. He's not looking for people who are spiritually well, who does all the Christian things perfectly. No, he's looking for people who are going to prioritize the presence of God in their lives. See, Jesus actually spoke against the people who think they are spiritually well who do all the spiritual things perfectly, thinking they are going to earn favor from God because of their performance. God isn't looking at your spiritual performance and saying, wow, you are a grade A Christian. I'm just going to rain blessings upon you. No, 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 no. God is looking for people whose heart is set on prioritizing his presence despite their mess-ups, despite how well they are performing. See, the presence of God is what Jesus was after. What are you after? Are you after the presence of God in your life, or are you after some sort of spiritual performance, thinking that you can earn your way to God, thinking you can earn anything from God? For Jesus, it was not a duty. For Jesus, the end goal was to be with his Father. Is that your end goal? Or are you stuck in this trap trying to be this awesome, great Christian, is your spiritual performance your end goal? For Jesus, it was not at all. Because there, there's a huge, huge difference between trying to like, curate a spiritual performance and then practicing the presence of God. So first and foremost, if we are following the example of Jesus, we pray not because it's the good Christian thing to do. We pray not because we are trying to earn God's favor. We pray because prayer is one way that we prioritize the presence of God in our lives. This is why we're doing this prayer thing. 
is to prioritize the presence of God in our lives. Listen, Jesus actually, actually really enjoyed the company of his father. He really enjoyed it. He really loved it. And the presence was everything for Jesus. That's why he was going up on the mountain early mornings. That's why he was distancing himself and going to desolate places to be with his father. And he actually really enjoyed the company of God. Do you enjoy the company of God in your life? Is this something that you're after? See, they're saying, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. The disciples wanted a taste. There was a clear difference between the way Jesus prayed and the way they were praying, and they wanted a taste of whatever Jesus was having. Hey, man, when you go out and pray and you come back, something's different. We want a taste of that. That's why they're saying, teach us to pray, right? And this is the good news. Jesus didn't keep it from them. He didn't keep it from them. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't uh, keep it from them, but Jesus showed them exactly how to do it. Notice... Jesus didn't just tell them how, he demonstrated, for, demonstrated it for them by praying a specific prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus is responding to that and saying, okay, I'm going to give, you it, all. I'm going to give it all to you. So look at Jesus' response, starting in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, I find it pretty interesting that Jesus didn't tell the disciples to just pray whatever you want. Right? The disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus didn't say, uh, you just kind of do it. Just pray, man. Just pray whatever's on your mind. No, that wasn't Jesus' response at all. Jesus' response was very specific. When you pray, say these words. Jesus is quite literally saying, when you pray, recite these words. Repeat these words. Why so specific, Jesus? Is this Jesus' attempt to control their prayer life? Is Jesus like, no, I want you to pray a certain way? Or... Is Jesus giving them a framework and a model that is going to lead them closer to God in their prayers? See, I don't think there is necessarily like a right or a wrong way to pray, but Jesus seems to think that there is a way to pray that will lead you into experiencing more of him, more of his presence. See, Jesus isn't trying to be controlling over how they pray. He's simply giving them a model on how to experience more of God in their prayers. So Jesus didn't say, pray what you want. He didn't say that, but he says, pray like this and pray specifically like this. And just listen to how Jesus starts off this prayer. Let's walk through it line by line. He says, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, the very first word off of your lips should be Father. Now, to us, that seems like a pretty common starting point for prayer, right? Like, Father. Okay, got it. I can do that. But to the disciples and to the people in first century Israel, um, calling God Father would have been revolutionary. It would have been mind-blowing 
Because God was primarily seen as holy and powerful. And God is someone who we need to revere and to respect. And when they would hear Jesus address that same God as Father, that was a whole different view on God that they were not used to. Because Father implies that I can have an intimate relationship with that God, but not just any relationship, a relationship equivalent to a Father. See, this was Jesus' go-to name for God. He called God Father more than anything else. He thought of God as his Father, and here we see Jesus teaching his disciples to do the same. God is Father. When you pray, say, Father. Now, I know this can be, I've had some pretty difficult conversations this week, and I know that this can be really hard for some, because many of you, um, you may have difficult relationships with your father, and you just can't find it in you to view God as your father, because your earthly father experience is just broken, and that is so, so real. And see, so in whatever type of relationship you have with your earthly father, you might, you just might, be putting that on God, whether for good or for worse. And for Jesus, what comes to mind when you think about God will either make or break your prayer life. Whatever you think about God is important. And unless we break the false images of God in our minds, we will never be drawn to prayer. However you view God, that is going to affect how you interact with him. And so for many of us, this is where we need to start. You need to start with healing the false images of God in your minds. I mean, honestly, some of us are probably believing just crazy demonic lies about who God is. The enemy is telling you God is, God is a certain way. And if you start to believe those lies, you are going to go down a path of treating God according to those lies. However you think about God, however you view him, that is going to affect how you interact with him, right? If you think of God as an angry being in the sky, mad at the world, mad at you for messing up, or someone who doesn't really care about you, you'll never be drawn to this prayer thing. You'll say, uh, pass, no thank you. But if you think of God as your father, that's a whole other story, right? A father is someone who cares deeply, who loves deeply, who gives generously. A father provides safety and security. And the very first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer, the very first word, the very first thing is the God we come before in prayer is like a father, who has a welcoming heart and good intentions towards you, towards me. Did you know that God's first and primary emotion towards you is compassion? Compassion. That is God's baseline primary emotion towards you and towards me. Compassion. And when you come to God in prayer, this is what you are going to be met with. A father who is full of compassion, full of love, waiting for you. Right? Just like a, a father and a mother have compassion on a child, Jesus is saying, this is the type of experience I have with God as my father. So this is it. The first and primary emotion that God has towards you, compassion. 
And so whatever false images we have of God, like just right now, who is God to you? What pops up in your head? What is he like? What facial expression, expression does he have? Is he angry at you? Is he mad at you? What is the deal? Because whatever view you have, that is going to shape the way you interact with him. God is our Father. This is the absolute first thing that Jesus teaches his disciples and teaches us. That holy, powerful God, yeah, that God can be known as a loving, compassionate Father because that's who he is and nothing less. But the prayer goes on and it says this, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed and hallow is, like, is a weird word that we don't use much, right? And it basically means this, to respect the holiness of God. And when we say that God is holy, what we mean by that is there is no one who is more unique and special and beautiful than God in all of the universe, right? He's separate and he's set apart from all other things. And for Jesus, the first steps for us, the very first steps to coming to God in prayer is to first recognize God as a compassionate, loving father And second, to recognize God's holiness, uniqueness, and beauty. And when we hallow God's name, we are claiming that there is no one like God in all of the universe. There is no one more beautiful, no one more unique, no one more holy. Right? To hallow God's name, when we hallow God's name, it forces us to reorder our affections. This is what it does. Because we can say with our mouth that there is no one like God. In fact, we do it all the time. God, there is no one like you. You are worthy of my worship. And we confess it with our mouth, but in our hearts, we hallow things all of the time, other things. In the deepest parts of us, we are worshiping our careers, how much money we have, our social status, our busyness, our accomplishments, you name it. Whatever the thing may be, we hallow other things all of the time. We put things in the place of God. And when we do that, we are claiming that this thing is worthy of my time, energy, and worship. When we put the thing, when we put something in front of God, it's like we are stripping the beauty off of God and trying to put it on something else. And it's just not fitting. It just doesn't belong there. See, the hallow God's name means to recognize that God and God alone is worthy of my time and my energy and my worship and nothing else. Jesus is saying, when you pray, first, remember that God is a loving, compassionate Father, and there is no one who is more worthy to be worshipped than he is. There is no one more beautiful than God. And see, all of us are hallowing just something in our hearts. And Jesus is saying, we need to reorder our affections. You know, a lot of us equate prayer, or we view prayer as this thing where we just ask God for stuff, which is very much a a part of prayer, 100%. But notice that the first two lines of this prayer have nothing to do with asking God for stuff. Nothing to do with it. Instead, it has everything to do with our posture towards God. And so for Jesus, prayer isn't like a vending machine to get what you want. For Jesus, prayer is a place of worship first. 
This is it. The very first two lines, Jesus didn't say, uh, just ask God for stuff. No, it has everything to do with your posture. First, recognizing who God is and putting him in front of you and saying, God, you are holy and there is no one like you. It's reordering our affections. So for Jesus, prayer is a place of worship first. So before you turn to prayer, before you turn your prayer into a list of things you need, the list of things you want, start with hallowing his name. Start with reordering our affections, our desires, and put God in the place where he belongs. Hallowed be your name. Prayer is a place of worship first. But the prayer keeps going on. It says this, your kingdom come. See, the prayer begins to shift from first recognizing who God is and worshiping his beauty, and it moves into what God is all about. And Jesus says, pray that the kingdom will come. Do you guys realize that your prayers actually make a difference? That your prayers, the words that you utter out of your mouth, God actually hears those prayers and he desires to answer those prayers? Right? I hope you know when you pray, your words don't just vanish into thin air. But the words that come out of your mouth when you pray are actually heard. And God hears those prayers, and God actually wants to answer those prayers. So Jesus tells us to pray that the kingdom of God would come down to earth, which is assuming that our prayers actually have the ability to shape our life into a certain direction. But not just any direction, right? Into the direction of the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is a future reality, and it's also a it's also a present reality. See, God is coming back to set up his good and perfect kingdom on earth. It's a promise. It's going to happen. God is going to redeem everything back to himself. But Jesus is saying, you can pray that the kingdom will come right now. Meaning, we can live in the reality of the kingdom of God on this side of heaven. Like, this is a reality for us. It's not necessarily a thing that we are waiting for. Jesus is saying, you can pray that the kingdom will come right now. See, when we pray for things like, God, help me just overcome my sin, we are praying that, the, that God's kingdom would come and invade our life. When we pray for other people, we are praying for God's kingdom to come in their life. When we pray for the sick, when we pray for the poor, when we pray for friends and family that are far from God, we are praying that the kingdom of God would come and invade their life. See, we know one day that God is going to redeem everything back to himself, and he is going to set up his good and perfect kingdom. We know that. But we want a taste of that kingdom right now. And you can have a taste of that kingdom right now. Now, we can experience parts of the kingdom in the here and now. And when the kingdom of God comes down, it looks like pe people being set free from sin. It looks like the lost being found. It looks like people's stories being redeemed, marriages being healed, people reconciling to one another, and on and on and on. We want to see people be set free. Right? Like This is what Jesus did when he came. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what did he do? He healed the sick, he casted out demons, he performed miracles, he redeemed everything back to himself, making things perfect again. And we can have a taste of that kingdom right now. Do we believe that? 
are we bold enough to pray these crazy prayers? God, we want to see your kingdom come. God, we want to see you heal marriages. We want to see you redeem people back to yourself. We want to see the lost found. We can pray for these things. Jesus says, pray that the kingdom of God would come and invade your life, invade the lives around you. Are we bold enough to pray these prayers? Do we actually believe it? Because this is what God is all about, redeeming everything back to himself, everything that is broken and lost. Your kingdom come. This is what God is all about. It's what he's always been about, right? The stories of God, the history of God has always been to redeem, to bring things back. Which leads us to this, verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. Uh, Right now we're working through the book of Exodus on Sunday mornings, usually. And a while ago we read a story in Exodus chapter 16 where God brought the people of where God brought the people of God out of slavery and he is now leading them through the desert on their way to the promised land. And if, we're, if you're familiar with the story, you know that the people are hungry and thirsty and they're groaning to God. And so God makes this crazy promise to the people. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. In fact, every single day that you are in the desert, I'm going to provide bread for you. Right? It was, it's a promise that God made to the people. God sees their hunger. He sees their needs. And God says, I'm going to give you bread every single day. But if you are familiar with the story, you know that the people of Israel refuse to listen. Right? God says, I'm going to give you bread. But here's the thing. Only gather what you need. Don't try to store more away. Don't leave any till the morning. Eat what you can eat. Only gather what you need for the day. But the people of Israel refused to listen, and they they kept bread for themselves. They tried to store it away. And then the Bible says that they woke up, and their bread was rotting. It had maggots and worms, and it was nasty. And see, God was trying to teach them something. God was trying to show them And see, trusting God that he is going to provide for them, provide for us, has always been an issue. See, trusting that God is good enough and efficient enough to to provide has always been a struggle for the people of God. It's always been a struggle. It's always been a pattern that's built inside of us to not trust God for our everyday needs. Right, and we do this thing all the time when we try to take control of our lives. Right, we all have some control issues. We all, we're all trying to control something in our lives, and control is an enemy to your soul. Have you ever thought about it like that? The, the idea of you having to control every outcome in your life, to control your relationships, to control every aspect of anything, Have you ever considered that that is probably hurting you? Control is an enemy to our soul. So the need to control every outcome. So here's the prayer. Give us each day our daily bread is a prayer that that replaces control with trust. When we pray, Lord, give us our daily bread, that is us releasing control and receiving trust.
Lord, give us our daily bread. And the thing about that is this. God sees the deepest parts of you, and he knows your desires, he knows your wants, he knows your needs, he knows all of that, and he knows everything in between. Instead of you trying to provide for yourself by our own means, what, what if, just what if, we had the ability to let go of this thing called control in our lives and trust that God is going to be good enough and sufficient enough to give us our daily bread. See, one aspect of a loving father is he's, is he's going to provide what you need. This is what a loving father does. He doesn't ignore your needs. He doesn't say they're not important. He doesn't say, oh, those, are, those things are too little for me. God sees it all. And one aspect of a loving father is he sees it and he wants to provide for you. So here's the prayer. Lord, give us our daily bread. Help us to release the enemy of control. Help us to receive trust. Help us to trust in you. Lord, I want to believe that you're going to provide for me. Help me. Help me to trust. Help, help my unbelief. So lastly, let's take a, ver- take a look at verse 4. Finishing up the prayer, goes on and says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. You know, there's a certain type of freedom that we, that we experience when we recognize who we really are in front of God. Right? And real freedom comes when we are honest with ourselves. With, we're honest with ourselves and we are honest with God about what's really going on inside of us. Right? We like to carry around a falseness that we have, either pretending that we have everything together or just ignoring like, what's really happening in our souls. And for us to experience the fullness of God, we first need to expose who we really are to God. See, instead of hiding our true selves from him, what if we exposed it to God and said, God, I am a sinner. I am full of sin, and I need you. Because when we do that, this is what awaits you, forgiveness. Forgiveness. And it's always been waiting for you. See, there's a reason why forgiveness is found in this prayer. Because forgiveness is always meant for restoration. Always. Forgiveness is always meant to restore what is broken. And this is exactly why we ask God, for, ask God for forgiveness, so that we can be restored back to him. See, but we all, have, we all have a part in this. Our part is to name it, to name your sin honestly before God, and name it honestly before others. And this is God's part, forgiveness. This is what awaits you. And if we can just be honest with what is actually happening in our bodies, happening in our souls, that we have sin, that we're full of sin, we like to to keep it and try to fix it on our own, thinking that, you know, I'm going to be safe if I just don't let, if I don't let God in, if I don't let other people in, I will be good. But there is no freedom in hiding anything. There is zero freedom. In fact, the Bible says you are enslaved. The Bible calls that slavery, not freedom. So there's a falseness that we carry around with us, even to God, pretending or just ignoring that we are okay. But listen, forgiveness is always meant for restoration, and it's always meant to bring freedom. 
Can you find freedom in the forgiveness of Jesus? Because this is what you have in Jesus, absolute forgiveness. And this is exactly why we ask. This is exactly why it is in this prayer right after our daily bread. Lord, give us our daily bread. But oh yeah, Lord, I am so full of sin and I need you to restore me back to yourself. When you read the Psalms, um, David, he wrote a ton of them. David is someone who found freedom in forgiveness. This dude did crazy, weird stuff. But at the end of the day, he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he found freedom in forgiveness. He found freedom in God. Lord, give us our daily bread, but God, forgive us our sins. And this is God's part is always to forgive. Um, but this is the messy part. The prayer goes on and says, in forgiving others, which Jesus seems to think is also part of the deal. Right, we like the forgiveness part. Yeah, I'm forgiven. But if we ever have to forgive someone else, this is when it gets messy and sticky. I don't know, God. Forgiveness is hard. I don't know if I can forgive this person. Jesus seems to think that it's part of the deal. Because you have received so much forgiveness at great lengths. You are so forgiven. So Jesus seems to think forgiving others is a part of that deal. Because when you don't forgive others, there is no freedom in that at all. In fact, you are just so enslaved. So forgive us, Lord. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. See, forgiveness is not an easy gig. And I don't want to downplay people's pain, but the reality is this. God has forgiven you at great lengths. And if you can see yourself in the light of the gospel, the easier it will become for you to take those first steps of forgiving those who hurt you. It's hard. It's so hard. But if you can see yourself in the bigger story that you have been forgiven much, that is going to help you take those first few steps in forgiving others, living in light of the gospel. This is an offer for you and for me, that when we come to God with our true selves, this is what awaits you, forgiveness. So Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to pray so we can be experts like you. No, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray, because whatever you are experiencing, when you go out to pray, we are not. See, Jesus wasn't praying to check off a spiritual box. He wasn't trying to keep up on his spiritual performance. He was praying because he prioritized the presence of God above everything else. For Jesus, prayer was the portal to a deep life with God. And it's been nothing less than that. For Jesus, prayer is how we enter into the dwelling place with God. So first and foremost, this is what prayer is at its core. It's not asking God for stuff, but this is it. How to dwell with the living God. This is prayer. Think about it. Just think about this. You no longer 
need to bring sacrifices. You no longer need to go to the temple. You no longer need to go to the tabernacle to meet with God. But here's the, rea- here's the reality. God is saying, you are now that temple. You are now that tabernacle, and God dwells in you. Like, we don't have to go to a place anymore, but we are that temple. You are a walking, talking, breathing tabernacle, and God dwells in you. So how do we meet with God? We don't go to a place to meet with God anymore, so how do we do it? Jesus calls it prayer. And to Jesus, prayer was a beautiful place to be because prayer was the place where you dwelled with the living God. And this has always been the point. We're going through the book of Exodus right now. We're talking about God is producing a people for himself. And the whole idea is God wants to be with his people. Did you know that you can pray at any time and you can dwell with God? Prayer is the portal to a deep life with God. And it's an invitation for you to walk fully into this thing. Prayer is a compelling mystery. Sometimes it's hard, it's weird, we don't really know how it works sometimes, but we do know this, prayer is how we meet with God. Prayer is how we practice the presence of God. Prayer is how we prioritize the presence of God in our life. So if you are new to this prayer thing, if you have no idea even how to pray, good news for you, Jesus just gave us a model how to do it. Christians have been praying the Lord's Prayer for generations, for years. And so you don't have to come up with any crazy words. You don't have to be fancy when you pray. You can pray this, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, The worship team team can come back up. Um, There is so much more that can be said about prayer. In fact, I haven't even like scratched the surface of what this prayer thing is at all. Um, But right now we're going to enter into a time of response. And I say response because that's like, that's what it is. We are responding to this God, to the, to, to, to this God that has chosen to speak to us. So we're going to sing some songs. And as we're singing, I'm going to encourage you to just to pray. Pray to yourself. If you feel like you want to go pray for someone else, that's awesome as well. Um, And I want you to remember two things as you pray. The first thing is this. When you pray, just remember who you're talking to. Remember who you're talking to, that God is a loving, compassionate Father, and his primary emotion towards you is compassion. And when you come to God in prayer, this is, what is, this is what you are going to be met with. And the second thing is this. Remember that you can't earn God's love and compassion by your spiritual performance. Right? So when you pray, you're not earning anything at all from God. God's desire is to dwell with you. That's it. And God loves you and he likes you because that's just who he is. You can't earn any of that from God. So Holy Spirit, will you, Lord, I pray that you would break the strongholds that we have in our minds about who you are.